part of the media ministry of Cornerstone Church. You can listen to this and other messages on our website at www.corner-stone.org or by subscribing to our podcast. Today's teaching is by Pastor Daryl Ruiz. Why don't you have a seat? Today is the day that we celebrate our heroes, this Memorial Day weekend, and uh, when I was a kid, I had, uh, I had many heroes, but uh, as a young child, none more than uh, Mighty Mouse. I think he was the coolest, the coolest cartoon ever, Mighty Mouse. I had a Mighty Mouse sweatshirt that uh, I tried to wear everywhere, I think. Mighty Mouse was the man. As I got a little older, though, uh, Mighty Mouse took a back seat to G.I. Joe Every day I'd get home from school and uh, I'd get a snack and I'd go sit in front of the TV before anybody else got home and uh, I would watch G.I. Joe. G.I. Joe was the man. Uh, But even then, as I got a little older, heroes changed, don't they, for us? Heroes changed a little bit. I traded in the uh, the cartoon heroes for my sports heroes. Uh, Chicago Bears, mid-80s, Jim McMahon. You can ask my brother, Jim McMahon was the man. I was Jim McMahon as far as I was concerned. Uh, Jim McMahon had number nine, I had number nine. Jim McMahon wore a headband. The funky QB right here, I wore the headband. And uh, uh, I was even known to uh, pull off a few Jim McMahon moves on the field, not athletically speaking, but uh, I remember because my friends will never let me live it down, uh, it was the end of the season, and the St. Augustine Pop Warner Trojans, we were in the Trojan Bowl, right? And it was at our local high school, and teams from around the state came. Pop Warner Little League. Well, I had to have been, I don't know, uh, 10 years old. And uh, Jim McMahon on the field, number nine, headband and all. Uh, I remember being in the Brumley Stadium, the stadium I'd later play in high school, and to a, uh, a house packed with probably 30 people to watch our Little League Championship of the World. And uh, we were at about the 10-yard line, and the crowd was roaring, at least in my ears. And I got up to the line, and I decided to quiet this roaring crowd, like Jim McMahon would have, you know, in a, in a large NFL game. No joke, I got up to the line, and uh, I looked to the right, I looked to the left, And I waved everyone down, quiet down, quiet down. And even my own teammates, I think my tailback just stood up and looked at me like I was crazy, right? Quiet down. I still hear about that to this day. Uh, Michael Jordan, Chicago Bulls. I don't know why Chicago was so popular back in the 80s, but Michael Jordan, he was the man And me and my buddies, we would get Michael Jordan, Come Fly With Me. That was his highlight film. And before we'd go out and play basketball in the the driveway, we'd watch Michael Jordan, Come Fly With Me. And we swore we could fly after watching that. We'd go out and we'd try all these crazy dunks on our adjustable seven-foot goal. And uh, I had had the, the socks folded in the double fold just right. If you know Michael Jordan, you know what I'm talking about. I had the black and red neoprene knee brace that you didn't actually wear on your knee, you wore it on your calf, and you folded it down just a little bit so you could see the red. I was Michael Jordan. He was my hero. We all have our heroes growing up, don't we? Ricky, you probably had uh, some heroes with guitars. Yeah, Ricky, you slipped out to get a drink. 
Uh, I imagine Ricky's heroes were maybe a little different than mine, but uh, we've all had our heroes if we think back. They're different kinds of heroes, aren't there? Cartoon heroes like Mighty Mouse, G.I. Joe, comic book heroes like Batman, Wonder Woman, everyday heroes like firemen, policemen, EMT workers, and certainly the soldier who is willing to stand a post here or abroad and fight back evil. They're heroes, aren't they? Webster defines a hero like this. It's a person noted for feats of courage. One who has risked or sacrificed his or her life. That's a hero. This past week, we were uh, near Washington, D.C. and decided to take the opportunity to see some of the sites and memorials. If you've never been to uh, D.C. and the memorials there. This is my first time. Uh, I recommend it. If you've never been to the Arlington National Cemetery, I recommend it. And take your kids. The weight of the sacrifice made is, frankly, a little bit overwhelming. Honor is not a word that uh, we use much in our day and is certainly not a character trait that we highly esteem anymore. But um, you leave a place like Arlington National Memorial Cemetery, feeling, feeling so impressed that we, at least in that one place in our nation, have gotten it right. If you've been there, you know what I'm talking about. They keep this thing manicured like no other place in D.C. that I saw. D.C., you would think, being, being what it is in our government, would just be spotless. It's not. Uh, in a lot of places, we got lost in a few places. It's a dump. And you think, this is where our president lives? But you go to Arlington National Memorial Cemetery, and it's spotless. And you walk in and you tell your kids, listen, this is a place where we don't run, we don't jump, we don't climb on anything. All right? They don't let you take uh, snacks in there. It, it even says when you go in, don't, don't take a, a cold drink in here. You can take water, that's it. It, it's, a, it's a humbling place, but it's an impressive place. I left feeling like we, we've gotten it right here, if we've gotten honor right in no other places in our country. If it's fading away, we're getting it right there. We stayed and we watched the changing of the guard, and everybody stood still. And by honor, I don't even mean to elevate. I, I don't even mean to elevate. To honor, in my mind, when I was there, is to remember to put another way, it's not to forget. But I think honoring someone is more than just even remembering. I think it's also allowing that memory to impact our living. Amen? To honor something, someone, is to allow the memory of that thing or that person to impact our living in their dying. To visit that cemetery and uh, then the Vietnam Memorial Wall and even, even the Lincoln Memorial is not, and not to be impacted in my life um, would be, in fact, to dishonor those memories, wouldn't it? You know, if I'd have walked away from those places and not been changed at all, not been influenced at all, that would, in my mind, be, to some degree, a dishonor. How much more, listen, how much more dishonoring is it for us to gather here then each Sunday? You remember the freedom that Christ has won by His sacrifice and not let it fully impact our living when we depart. Christ died to reconcile men to God. Amen? 
And his last words to his disciples were this, all authority in heaven and on earth has been granted to me. You get the idea that it has been granted to him because of his willingness to humble himself even to the point of death. He earned the right is the point I think of the author. All authority in heaven and on earth has been granted to me. Therefore, because of that, here are your marching orders. Go, make disciples of all nations. Teach them to obey all that I've taught you. And I'll be with you even to the end of this age, even to the end of this season of eternity. I'm with you. Go. It's the soldier's marching orders. How might we honor Christ with our living? It's a good question for today. Memorial Day. How might we honor Christ with our living? Here it is. Not only are you to be a disciple, but Scripture would have us, Christ would have us, your Savior would have us. Make disciples. And what, what if you think about it, could be more honoring. For those who follow Him, to honor Him by by making more followers. Disciples, very simply, are followers. Jesus called the twelve disciples and they followed him. When Jesus left, he told them to make their own disciples. Their own followers. Now, I hope you didn't miss what I just said. Jesus asked them to make their own disciples. To make their own followers. And then to teach them everything that he had taught them. I noticed something about Jesus' words this week that I never really noticed before. Maybe it's a small thing. Maybe it's nothing. I don't think so. He didn't say, make more disciples of me specifically, did he? He said, go and make disciples and teach them everything that I've taught you. Simply told them to make their own disciples. Are you catching a difference here? I think there is one. And it may teach us something about process. Here's the point. You have disciples to make. You have disciples to make. And here's here's the even clearer. They should be following you. And if you want to add a little caveat because you think I'm going off off the path here. At the very least, they should be following the Christ in you. But Jesus said, make, make disciples. You go, make disciples. You get the idea here, if you think about it that way, that we are to go and gather people to follow us, or at least the Christ that is in us. Christ was gone. They weren't to be, first and foremost, followers of Him. They were to be followers of you as you are followers of Him. If I've lost lost track here, then Paul has lost track as well because he said, 1 Corinthians 11.1, much the same thing. Follow my example, Paul says, as I follow the example of Christ. Paul said, follow me. We ought to be able to say, follow me. Because I'm following Christ. You can follow me. Uh, 2 Timothy chapter 2, Paul's last letter before he left this world. He said this, And the things you have heard from me, Timothy, the things you've heard from me that I've said in the presence of many witnesses, entrust to reliable men so that they will be able to entrust it 
to the next generation of reliable men. Who will also, he says, be qualified to teach others. There's, there's four generations there, folks, in that one sentence. Paul, Timothy, entrust to others who will also be able to teach others. See that? And Paul says, follow me as I follow Christ. Go and make disciples. You and I have our own disciples to make. You have followers to make, I have followers to make, so that we can teach them everything Christ has taught us. A couple tough questions for you. Do you honor Christ and the memory of his sacrifice for your freedom in that way? Who follows you, put another way? Who follows you to Christ? Anyone? Uh, Kimberly and I was, were with some friends, some other church planners in Virginia on the tail end of our trip this past week. And uh, my friend, uh, this other pastor, he was saying some things, and later Kimberly and I were talking, and uh, we, we got to talking about some of the things my friend, this other pastor, was saying, and, and she had made the comment in the, in the discussion that I've not heard what you're saying. I've not heard anything like that. And, and I had to kind of chuckle because I, I preached on things like that. And she, she made a good point to me later. She says, you know, it's, she says, I know you have. I remember that series and this series. She said, but in the midst of a Sunday morning service, we get kind of caught up and we do our thing. And then before we know it, Ricky's up singing again. And then we're out and we go. And she says, I wonder how many of us actually remember anything you've said past 10 minutes in the parking lot. And that's just the truth. And, and my thought was the, the passage from Paul, it's through the foolishness of preaching. I mean, there is some foolishness to what I do in, in the sense that you know, sometimes it may not get any further than those two doors. So with that in mind, let's pause for a moment and don't move too quickly past those tough questions. Are you honoring Christ, the memory of his sacrifice for your freedom? Are you honoring him in that way? Are you honoring him by the living out of his order to go and make more disciples? Who is following you to Christ? And maybe, maybe you use that blank space in the bulletin here that we provide so kindly for you. If you can think of any, put some names down. Of men or women who have in the past been able to follow you towards Christ or even currently are able to follow you towards Christ. Or even more specifically, men or women that you are leading towards Christ. Very intentionally leading towards Christ. I hope there's some names that before this sermon escapes your memory, you're able to put down. I, uh, have you heard the name Dawson Trotman? You heard that name? Dawson Trotman lived till he was 50 and in Life magazine... There was an article about him, June 18th, 1956. A speedboat skimmed across the cold waters of Shroon Lake in upstate New York. Suddenly a wave struck the boat, hurling a man and a woman into the water. The man swam over and held the young girl's head above the water until she was rescued. Then, Time Magazine says, he suddenly sank and disappeared. Under his picture was the caption, Always Holding Someone Up. Title of the article. The article began, so died Dawson Trotman, the navigator. 
Dawson Trotman was the founder of the Navigators, a well-known uh, ministry for discipleship. Uh, if discipleship had a revival in America, it was under the program of the Navigators. It was, it was founded by a guy named Dawson Trotman. Uh, the story behind the story of Dawson Trotman, behind uh, his early demise, was that he gave his whole life to holding others up. He gave his whole life. Uh, he was a, a sailor himself, a Navy man, and uh, I read a story that early on in his uh, Navy career, another sailor came to Dawson Trotman one day on, a, on the ship that they were serving on, and he said, Doss, that's what his friends called him, Doss, I want you to help me grow. Later, Dawson Trotman explained that by saying what he wanted was me to disciple him. And he said, okay, I'll disciple you. And he took that man and he discipled him and walked through and with him through the basics of Christianity. Later on, uh, this guy brought another sailor to Dawson. And he said, Doss, uh, this guy wants you to help him grow. And Dawson told him no. And both of the sailors were surprised. What do you mean no? He said, no, I'm not going to help him. You're going to help him. You're going to help him. And I'm going to help somebody else. And the guy said, okay. Story goes that that chain didn't break. That guy helped that guy, and then that guy helped somebody else, and then that guy helped somebody else, and then they helped somebody else. This went on for months and months until, check this out, the FBI gets involved because something had changed on this ship. These normal sailors started acting differently. Better, but strangely, oddly different. And they began to think that some sort of cult had broken out on this ship. And the FBI got involved. It took them six months to track down the source of this change. You know what the source of the change was? It was Dawson Trotman. By the time that they tracked down through all of the disciples... From mentor to mentee to mentor to mentee. It took him six months, the FBI, to pin it on Dawson Trotman. That's a good problem to have. You think men were following him towards Christ? I think so. I think so. And even at an early demise, his face is in Time magazine. Holding up other people. The story of his death goes that they had been skiing all day, got back in the boat, and they were dog tired. And there was a young girl that he had been discipling on the boat uh, and some others. And uh, he asked the girl, are you a good swimmer? And she said, I'm okay. And he said, you sit here. It was a safer seat, he thought. And he took her seat. They hit a wave, and they both got bounced out of the boat. He swam over, held her head out of the water until the boat could circle back around and, and pick her up. And then he sank below the waves. He gave his life literally and figuratively to lifting others up. Um, let me give you some application here. Life groups, uh, small groups here at Cornerstone have taken a break for the summer. And uh, each fall we intentionally take that break, not just to give you a break, but so that in the fall we can change things mix things up, start new groups, move them to different homes if need be, get uh, different leaders, different topics, etc. And sometimes we even change the format of how we do it. Couples groups, most recently we've been in men's groups and women's groups, and that's worked very well. But uh, we've got a new plan for the fall. Today I'm asking you to begin planning for the new format of life groups in the fall. 
Today, in fact, I'm asking you to begin planning for your own small group. I'm asking that each family start their own small group made up of folks not from Cornerstone. Who do you know that needs to be following Christ that you can walk with? Pretty easy question. Who do you know that needs to be following Christ that you can walk with? Friends? Any neighbors? Any co-workers? How about extended family? But somebody who's not in this room. Somebody who's not a part of the Cornerstone family. Before you freak out. (laughs) uh, Before your mind starts listing all the reasons which it may already have started. Before your mind starts listing all the reasons, or maybe you could call them excuses if you're honest, why you couldn't possibly start your own life group. Let me me give you some... uh, Words of encouragement. Number one, it doesn't have to be a course in higher theology. Is that good? It doesn't have to be a course in higher theology. Uh, number one excuse I get on why I can't lead someone else, why I can't help someone else, I don't know enough myself. It doesn't have to be a course in higher theology. Uh, the guy who discipled me, he told a group of uh, young men that he was discipling, when you're done, we'll find somebody dumber than you and we'll stick them with you. And you can help them. That's a pretty good way to think about it. We can help you with that. Number two, it doesn't have to be a classroom setting. How about the kitchen table? How about a living room couch? How about a coffee shop? How about over lunch? On your lunch break at work? How about Waffle House? That'll work. Number three, it doesn't have to be complicated either. We make this thing of discipleship way too complicated. We make it so complicated that we complicate ourselves out of doing it. It doesn't have to be that complicated. If it starts getting too complicated this summer, as you're planning towards it in the fall, you're going in the wrong direction. If it gets so complicated that you start talking yourself out of being able to possibly do it, back up. It's not that complicated. Let me give you what discipleship is. Three things. Discipleship is meeting with someone and doing these three things. Pretty easy. You want to jot something down today? Jot this down. Discipleship is doing these three things with somebody else. Sharing your life, sharing the word, and sharing in prayer. Can you do that? I think you can. Can you walk with somebody and just share your life wherever you are? If you think that the goal of your life spiritually is to be here and you're right here, why don't you just share with somebody else right here and help them get from here to here? Or maybe they can help you to get from here to here. Just share your life. It's amazing how just sharing your life and walking with someone, opening up to someone, helps you help yourself to the next level. Share your life. Share in the word. To just be able to sit with someone over coffee at the Waffle House and just say, you know what, I know what you're going through. Or even I don't know what you're going through. But here's here's a passage of scripture that comes to mind. Is that an encouragement? It sure is. Does that help somebody? It sure does. And you may not have them all memorized. Give them what you got. How about we start there? Share your life. Share the word. Share in prayer. Can you, can you pray with someone? Can you pray with someone? Can you sit down, share life over a cup of coffee, over a meal? And at the end of it, say, I don't know all the answers, but I'll pray with you. 
Can you do that? Will that help someone? It sure will. That can be, in an uncomplicated way, discipleship. So it doesn't have to be complicated, but let me tell you what I want it to be. Four things. Number one, I do want you to be careful. I could have used the word intentional, but all the other ones started with C, so let's make it careful. That means I want you to pray it through, and I want you to plan it out. Pray it through. you got the rest of the summer. You're just starting the summer. This is a challenge for the fall. Start asking God, who, when, how, what are we going to do? What are we going to talk about? Start asking God. And then start planning it out as he's giving you ideas, answers. Be careful about this thing. You've got all summer. Pray it through and plan it out. Number two, I want you to be consistent. Discipleship is not a one-time deal. If discipleship is following, that takes time. Make a commitment yourself and ask whoever else you get involved with to make like a six or eight week commitment, okay? We're looking for some level of consistency here. Discipleship is not inviting the neighbors over for one meal and then being done. I'm asking for some level of consistency here. Number three, be creative. Be creative. It can be over dinner. It can be a cookout once a week in your neighborhood. It could be over your lunch break at the office. It could be over coffee. It could be on, lo- on long walks with three other ladies. Ladies, be creative. Number four, I also want it to be centered on Christ. Find a way to make Christ known to the people you're walking with. It's one thing to do life with people. It's another thing to do life with people, pointing them towards Christ. Amen? Not real complicated. Finally, if you commit, if you get past the excuses that are rattling through your head right now, if you commit, I'll help. I'll help. And we've got all summer to help you. This summer, I'll sit down with you. You say, Pastor, uh, I'm thinking about these people. Uh, Here's why it might be difficult. You got any ideas? We'll talk about it. Pastor, I'm thinking about getting these people. I'm thinking about asking these people. These might be some hang-ups. How can I overcome them? I've got these people, Pastor. I'm going to focus on this couple and this couple. I'm going to focus on this part of my family. Here's the people. What do we do? How do we do it? Where should we do it? I'll help you. I'll give you as many ideas as I can give you. What are we going to do when we get together, Pastor? I'll help you with that. You commit, and I'll commit to helping you. We've got all summer. All you have to do, call me, email me, and say, okay, I've got an idea of what what I might do to step up and begin this process of discipleship myself, teaching others to obey what Christ has taught me to obey in my heart. I I think I'm getting an idea of how I might step up and do this. Can you help me? We'll sit down, and I'll help you. The, uh, the last place that we stopped before leaving the uh, Arlington National Cemetery this past week was a memorial marker for military chaplains. As you can imagine, that was a humbling moment for me. The marker on the uh, headstone there in the middle said, To the glory of God, in the memory of the chaplains who died in the service 
of their country. There's something about visiting the memory of our fallen heroes that creates in us a shared passion. A shared passion. There's something about it that emboldens us. That encourages us. And there's something about it that even motivates us. Is that right? It sure does. And as far as those excuses go, you'll find no place for excuses at the foot of a hero's grave. You'll find no place for excuses at the foot of a hero's grave. Let Memorial Day do something. Let it do something. Ought not the memory of Christ then, broken and poured out for our souls, accomplish even more, both in us and then through us? Let's pray. Father God, we need a new breed of soldier. We need a soldier that would be a disciple maker. And as much as memorials for those who've served our country motivate us, encourage us, embolden us, strengthen us, challenge us, impassion us, the memory of Christ broken and poured out for our souls accomplish, accomplishes even more in our hearts. Might it accomplish even more in our lives. Father, we, we remember your sacrifice often. And the truth is, we come here each Sunday to remember what you've done for us. My prayer is that we don't dishonor your memory. We don't dishonor your sacrifice for us by walking away and living out our days for ourselves. Lord, I pray that, that your sacrifice for our freedom creates a passion in us to follow the commands and even your final command for us to go to make our own disciples and to teach them what you have put into our hearts. Lord, your word reminds us that no good soldier called to active duty so entangles themselves in the affairs of this world so that they cannot heed the command of those whose banner we walk under. Lord, we'll not let this life keep us from the battle. We will, we will make our disciples. And we'll teach them to obey all that you've commanded us. In Jesus' name, amen. Maybe there's no better way to, uh, to make a, at least a first commitment towards that challenge than to uh, finish this morning by um, remembering in the way Christ has told us to remember. So why don't you stand? The guys are going to sing up here. And by a way of marking just an initial commitment to ask God how He might have you fulfill the challenge of starting your own life group, 
with somebody out there who needs you to be the light and salt that God has called you to be. If you want to meet that commitment, why don't you do it at the place God says to memorialize Him. For the one who is broken and poured out for you, why don't you make a commitment this morning before you get out these doors by breaking bread, remembering Him in communion this morning. You'll be saying, God, I'm going to do my part. I'm going to, I'm going to let your memorial motivate me. I'll not walk away from this memorial and go back to what I was doing. I'll be motivated. I'll be impassioned. I'll be empowered by the sacrifice you've made and by the memory of the freedom you've earned for us. Amen? Amen. So Ricky, you guys sing. And as you, as you will, you can take communion. Thank you for listening today. We hope this message was a blessing to you. To learn more about our church or our media ministry, you can visit us online at www.corner-stone.org or find us on Facebook.